0: The Men of God Network is a ministry of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary in Owensboro, Kentucky. This is the voice of the Narrated Puritan podcast, which can be found at the Narrated Puritan on sermonaudio.com. The Mute Christian was originally published in 1659 by Thomas Brooks. A second edition, though not so designated, was immediately called for and appeared in 1660. Thereafter a few books were more in demand, being next to the precious remedies against Satan's devices. I was silent, or I was dumb, and I did not open my mouth, because you did it, Psalm 39, verse 9. Not to trouble you, with a tedious preface in which usually is a flood of words, and but a drop of manner. This psalm consists of two parts. In the former, you have the prophet's disease discovered. And in the latter, the remedy applied. My text falls in the latter part. We have the way of David's cure. They're the means by which his soul was reduced to a still and quiet temper. I shall give a little light to the words and then come to the point that I intend to stand upon. I was dumb. The word in the original Hebrew signifies to be mute. Tongue-tied or dumb. The Hebrew word signifies also to bind as well as to be mute and dumb, because they that are dumb are, as it were, tongue-tied, they have their lips stitched and bound up. Ah, the sight of God's hand and the afflictions that was upon him makes him lay a law of silence upon his heart and tongue. I did not open my mouth, because you did it. He looks through all secondary causes, to the first cause, and it's silent. He sees a hand of God in it all, and so he sits mute and quiet. The sight of God in an affliction is of an irresistible efficacy to silence a heart and stop the mouth of a gracious man. In the words, you may observe three things. One, the person speaking, and that is David, a king, a saint. A man after God's own heart. A Christian. And here we look upon David, not as a king, but as a Christian. As a man whose heart was right with God. Number two. The action and carriage of David under the hand of God in these words. I was dumb, and opened not my mouth. Three. The reason of this humble and sweet carriage of his and these words. Because you did it. The proposition is this, doctrine, that it is the great duty and concern of gracious souls to be mute and silent under the greatest afflictions, the saddest providences and sharpest trials that they meet with in this world. For the opening and clearing up of this great and useful truth, I shall inquire first what this silence is that is here pointed at in the proposition. Secondly, what a gracious and holy silence it includes. Thirdly, what this holy silence does not include. And fourthly, the reasons of the point, and then bring it all home by way of application to our own souls. For the first, what is the silence here meant? I answer there is a sevenfold silence. First, there is a stoical silence. The stoics of old thought it altogether below a man It has reason or understanding either to rejoice in any good or to mourn for any evil, but the stoical silence is such a sensible insensibleness as is very provoking to a holy God, Isaiah 26 verses 10 and 11. God will make the most insensible sinner sensible either of his hand here or of his wrath in hell. It is a heathenish and a horrid sin to be without natural affections, Romans 1, verse 31. And of this sin, Quintus Fabius Maximus seems to be foully guilty, who, when he heard that his mother and wife, whom he dearly loved, were slain by the an house, and that his younger son, a brave, hopeful young man, died at the same time in Umbria. He never changed his countenance but went on with the affairs of the commonwealth, as if no such calamity had befallen him. Discarriage of his spoke out more obduracy, or hardness of heart, than of patience. Job 36, verse 13. And so Harpalus was not at all appalled when he saw two of his sons laid ready-dressed in a charger, when asked to ages had bid him to supper. This was a sottish insensibleness. Certainly if the loss of a child in the house be no more to you than the loss of a chicken in your yard, your heart is base and sordid, and you may well expect some sore awakening judgment. This age is full of such monsters who think it below the greatness and magnanimity of their spirits to be moved, affected, or afflicted with any afflictions that befall them. I know none so ripe and ready for hell as these, Aristotle speaks of fish that though they have spears thrust into their sides, yet they do not awake. God thrusts many a sharp spear through many a sinner's heart, and yet he feels nothing. He complains of nothing. These men's souls will bleed to death. Secondly, there is a political silence. Many are silent out of policy Should they not be silent, they should lay themselves more open either to the rage and fury of men, or else to the plots and designs of men, to prevent which they are silent, and will lay their hands upon their mouths, that others might not lay their hands upon their estates, lives, or liberties. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. But the children of Belial said, How shall this man save us? And he despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. It was as though he had been deaf, for Samuel 10, verses 26 and 27. This new king being but newly entered upon his kingly government, and observing his condition to be but mean and low, his friends but few, and his enemies many and potent, sons of Belial. Men without a yoke, as the word signifies. Men that were desperately wicked, that were marked out for hell. That were even incarnate devils, who would neither submit to reason nor religion, nor be governed by the laws of nature, nor of nations, nor yet by the laws of God. Now this young prince, to prevent sedition and rebellion, blood and destruction, prudently and politically chooses rather to lay his hand upon his mouth than to take a wolf by the ear or a lion by the beard. Wanting neither wit nor will to be mute, he turns a deaf ear to all they say, his unsettled condition requiring silence. There are many wise fools in the world. There are many silly fools who, by holding their tongues, gain the credit and honor of being discreet men, he that does not discover his lack of wisdom by foolish babbling is accounted wise, though he may be otherwise. Silence is so rare of virtue where wisdom regulates it that it is accounted a virtue where folly imposes upon it. Silence was so highly honoured among the old Romans that they erected altars to it. Dead man shall pass for a man of understanding who so far understands himself is to hold his tongue, for though it be a great misery to be a fool, yet it is a greater, that a man cannot be a fool but he must needs show it. But this foolish silence is not the silence here I meant. Fourthly, there is a solemn silence. Many The gratifying humor, a lust, are sullenly silent. These are troubled with the dumb devil which is the worst devil of all the devils you read of in the scripture, Mark 9, 17-28. Pliny, in his natural history, makes mention of a certain people in the Indies, upon the river Ganges, called Astomy, They have no mouth, but only feed upon the smell of herbs and flowers. Certainly there is a generation amongst us who, when they are under the afflicting hand of God, have no mouths to plead with God, no lips to praise God, nor no tongues to justify him. These are possessed with the dumb devil, and this dumb devil had possessed Ahab for a time in First Kings 21 verse 4. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased, and laid him down upon his bed, and turned away his face, and would eat no bread. Ahab's ambitious humor, his covetous humor, being crossed, is resolved to starve himself and to die of the sullenness. A sullen silence is both a sin and a punishment for sin. The devil frets and vexes, wears and wastes the spirit of a man like this dumb devil, like this sullen silence. Some write of a certain devil, whom they call Hud in. It will not say, they say, heard anybody except he be wronged. I cannot speak so favorably of a sullen silence, for that wrongs many at once, God and Christ, bodies and soul. But this is not the silence here meant. Fifthly, there is a forced silence. Many are silent by force He that is under the power of his enemy, though he suffers many hard things, yet he is silent under his sufferings, because he know he is liable to worse sufferings. He that has taken away his liberty may take away his life. He that has taken away his money may take off his head. He that hath let him blood in the foot may let him blood in the throat, if he will not be still and quiet. And this works a silence only by force. So when many are under the afflicting hand of God, conscience tells them that they are now under the hand of an enemy, and the power of that God whom they have dishonored, whose son they have crucified, whose spirit they have grieved, whose righteous laws they have transgressed, whose ordinances they have despised, and whose people they have abused and opposed. And that he that has taken away one child may take away every child. And he that has taken away the wife might have taken away the husband. And he that has taken away some part of the estate might have taken away all the estate. And that he who has inflicted some distempers upon the body might have cast both body and soul into hell fire forever. And he that has shut him up in his chamber may shut him out of heaven at pleasure. The thoughts and sense of these things makes many a sinner silent under the hand of God. But this is but a forced silence. And such was the silence of Philip II, king of Spain, who when his invincible armada that had been three years of fitting was lost, he gave command that all over Spain should give thanks to God and the saints that it was no more grievous. As a cudgel forces a dog to be quiet and still, and a rod forces a child to be silent and mute, so the apprehensions of what God has done and of what God may do forces many a soul to be silent. Jeremiah three verse ten first kings fourteen verses five to eighteen. But this is not the silence here meant; a forced silence is no silence in the eye of God. Sixthly, there is a despairing silence. A despairing soul is a terror to himself. He has a hell in his heart, but a horror in his conscience. He looks upwards, and there he beholds God frowning at him and Christ bleeding. He looks inwards, and there he finds his conscience accusing and condemning of him. He looks on the one side of him, and there he hears all his sins crying out. We are yours, and we will follow you. We will to the grave with you. We will go to judgment with you, and from judgment we will go to hell with you. He looks on the other side of him, and there he sees infernal fins and fearful shapes, amazing and terrifying of him, and waiting to receive his despairing soul as soon as she shall take her leave of its wretched body. He looks above him, and there he sees the gates of heaven, shut against him he looks beneath him and there he sees hell gaping for him and under these sad sights he is full of secret conclusions against his own soul there is a mercy for others the despairing soul says but none for me grace and favor for others but none for me pardon and peace for others but none for me blessedness and happiness for others but none for me there is no help there is no help Jeremiah two verses twenty five in chapter eighteen, twelve. It seems to be his case who died with this desperate saying in his mouth, Farewell, life and hope together. Now, under these dismal apprehensions and sad conclusions about its present and future condition, the despairing soul sits silent, being filled with amazement and astonishment. Psalm 77 verse 4. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. But this is not the silence here meant. But seventhly and lastly, there is a prudent silence, a holy and a gracious silence, a silence that springs from prudent principles, from holy principles, and from gracious causes and considerations. And this is the silence that is meant here? And this I shall fully discover in my answers to the second question, which is this What does a prudent, a gracious, a holy silence include? Answer to It includes and takes in these eight things. First, it includes a sight of God and an acknowledgement of God as the author of all the afflictions that come upon us. And is here plain in the text. I was dumb. I did not open my mouth, because you did it. The psalmist looks through secondary causes to the first cause, and so sits mute before the Lord. There is no sickness, so little but God has a finger in it, though it be but the aching of the little finger. As the scribe is more eyed and properly said to write, than the pen, and he that makes and keeps the clock, is more properly said to make it go and strike, than the wills and weights that hang upon it. And as every workman is more eyed and properly said to effect his works, rather than the tools which he uses as his instruments. So the Lord, who is a chief agent and mover in all actions, and who has the greatest hand in all our afflictions, is more to be eyed and owned in any inferior or subordinate cause whatsoever said so Job. He beheld God in all his afflictions. Job 1 verse 21. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Had he not seen God in the affliction, he would have cried out, Oh, these wretched Chaldeans, they have plundered and spoiled me. These wicked Sabeans, they have robbed and wronged me. Job discerns God's commission in the Chaldeans and the Sabaeans' hands, and then lays his own hand upon his mouth. So Aaron, beholding the hand of God in the untimely death of his two sons, holds his peace, Leviticus 10, verse 3. The sight of God in a sad stroke is a bridle both to his mind and mouth. He neither mutters nor murmurs. So Joseph saw the hand of God and his brethren selling of him into Egypt, Genesis 45, verse 8 and that silences him. Men that do not see God in an affliction are easily cast into a feverish fit. They will quickly be in a flame, and when their passions are up, and their hearts on fire, they will begin to be saucy and make no bones at telling God to his teeth, and they do well to be angry. Jonah 4, 8 and 9. Such as will not acknowledge God, to be the author of all their afflictions, will be ready enough to fall in with that mad principle of the Manichees, to maintain the devil to be the author of all calamities, as if there could be any evil of affliction in the city, and the Lord has no hand in it. Amos 3, six, Such as can see the ordering hand of God in all their afflictions, will with David lay their hands upon their mouths, when the rod of God is upon their backs, If God's hand is not seen in the affliction, the heart will do nothing but fret and rage under affliction. Secondly, it includes and takes in some holy gracious apprehensions of the majesty, sovereignty, dignity, and authority in presence of that God under whose afflicting hand we are. Habakkuk 2 verse 20 But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent as the Hebrew reads it. Be silent all the earth before his face. When God would have all the people of the earth to be hushed, quiet, and silent before him, he would have them behold him in his temple where he sits in state in majesty and glory. Zephaniah 1 Hold your peace at the presence of the Lord God. Do not chat. Do not murmur. Do not repine. Do not quarrel, but stand mute. Be silent. Lay your hand on your mouth, when his hand is upon your back. Who is all eye to see as well as all hand to punish? As the eyes of a well-drawn picture are fastened on you, which way you ever turn, so are the eyes of the Lord, and therefore you have cause to stand mute before him. Thus Aaron had an eye to the sovereignty of God, and that silences him. And Job had an eye upon the majesty of God, and that steals him. And Eli had an eye upon the authority and presence of God, and that quiets him. A man never comes to humble himself, nor to be silent under the hand of God, until he comes to see the hand of God. To be a mighty hand. 1 Peter five, six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. When men look upon the hand of God, it's a weak hand, a feeble hand, a low hand, a mean hand. Their hearts rise against his hand. Who is the Lord? Pharaoh says. "That I should obey his voice. Exodus 5 verse 2. And until Pharaoh came to see the hand of God, it's a mighty hand. And to fill it, a mighty hand, he would not let Israel go. When Terabasus, a noble Persian, was arrested, at first he drew out his sword and defended himself. But when they charged him in the king's name and informed him that they came from the king and were commanded to bring him to the king, he willingly yielded. So when afflictions arrest us, we murmur and crumble and struggle a strive even to the death before we shall yield to that God that strikes until we come to see his majesty and authority until we come to see him as the King of kings and Lord of lords Isaiah 26 verses 11 and 12 it is such a sight of God as this that makes a heart to stoop under his almighty hand Revelation 1 5 the Thracians being ignorant of the dignity and majesty of God when it thundered and lightning, used to express their madness and folly in shooting their arrows against heaven, threatening, wise, as a sight of His grace cheers the soul, so a sight of His greatness and glory silences the soul. But, thirdly, a gracious and a prudent silence takes in a holy quietness and calmness of mind and spirit, under the afflicting hand of God. The gracious silence shuts out all inward heats, murmurings, frettings, quarrellings, wranglings, and boilings of the heart. Psalm 62 verse 1, truly my soul keeps silence unto God, for is silent and still. That is, my soul is quiet and submissive to God. All murmurings and repinings passions, and turbulent affections being allayed, tamed, and subdued. This also is clear in the text, and in the former examples of Aaron, Eli, and Job. They saw that it was a father that put those bitter cups into their hands, and love that laid those heavy crosses upon their shoulders, and grace that put those yokes about their necks and has caused much quietness and calmness in their spirits. Marius bit in his pain when the surgeon cut off his leg. Some men, when God cuts off this mercy and that mercy from them, they bite in their pain. They hide and conceal their grief and trouble. But could you but look into their hearts, you will find all in an uproar. All is out of order. All is in a flame. And however they may seem to be cold without, yet they are all in a hot burning fever within. Such a feverish fit David was once in, Psalm 39, verse 3. But certainly a holy silence allays all tumults in the mind and makes a man in to possess his own whole, which, next to his possession of God, is the choicest and sweetest possession in all the world, Luke 21, verse 19. The law of silence is as well upon that man's heart and mind as it is upon his tongue, who is truly and divinely silent under the rebuking hand of God. His tongue service abstracted from heart service is no service in the account of God. So tongue silence abstracted from heart silence is no silence in the esteem of God. A man is, then, graciously silent when all is quiet, within and without. Isaiah 29, verse 13. Matthew 15, verses eighty nine, and 9. Turpander, a harper and a poet, was one that, by the sweetness of his verse and music, could allay the tumultuous motions of men's minds, as David, by his harp, did Saul's. When God's people are under the rod, he makes by his spirit and words such sweet music in their souls as allays all tumultuous motions, passions, and perturbations, Psalm ninety four verses seven and nineteen, Psalm one hundred nineteen verses forty nine and fifty, so that they sit like Noah, quiet and still, and in peace possess their own souls. Fourthly, a prudent and a holy silence takes in a humble justifying clearing and acquitting of God of all blame, rigor, and injustice. And in all the afflictions he brings upon us Psalm fifty one four that you may be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge, that is, when you correct. God's judging his people is God's correcting or chastening of his people. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 32 When we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. David's great care, when he was under the afflicting hand of God, was to clear the Lord of injustice. Ah, Lord, he says... There is not the least show, spot, stain, blemish, or mixture of injustice and all the afflictions that you have brought upon me. I desire to take shame to myself and to set my seal that the Lord is righteous and that there is no injustice, no cruelty, nor no extremity in all that the Lord has brought upon me. And so in that Psalm 119 verse 75 and 137, sweetly and readily subscribes to the righteousness of God in those sharp and smart afflictions that God exercised him with. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that you in faithfulness uh, afflicted me. Righteous are you, O Lord, and righteous are your judgments. God's judgments are always just. He never afflicts. But in faithfulness, His will is a rule of justice, and therefore a gracious soul dares not cavil nor question his proceedings. The afflicted soul knows that a righteous God can do nothing but that which is righteous. It knows that God is uncontrollable, and therefore the afflicted man puts his mouth in the dust and keeps silence before him, who dares to say to him, Wherefore have you done so? 2 Samuel 16 verse 10 to Turks. When they are cruelly lashed, are compelled to return to the judge that commanded it, to kiss his hand, give him thanks, and pay the officer that whipped them, and so clear the judge and officer of injustice, silently, to kiss the rod, and the hand that whips with it is the noblest way of clearing the Lord of all injustice. The Babylonish captivity was the source, the heaviest affliction that ever God inflicted upon any people under heaven. Witness that of First Samuel 12 and Daniel 9, verse 12. Yet, under those smart afflictions, wisdom is justified of our children. Nehemiah 9, verse 33. You are just, and all that is brought upon us for you have done right, but we have done wickedly. Lamentations 1, verse 18. The Lord is righteous, for I have rebelled against him. A holy silence shines in nothing more than an unhumble justifying and clearing of God from all that which a corrupt heart is apt enough to charge God with in the day of affliction. God, in that he is good, can give nothing, nor do nothing, but that which is good others do frequently. He cannot possibly, saith Martin Luther, on the 120th Psalm, fifthly, the Holy Silent takes in gracious, blessed, soul-quieting conclusions about the issue and event of those afflictions that are upon us. Lamentation three twenty-seven to 34 In this choice scripture, you may observe these five conclusions to steal your hearts first, and then more generally, that they shall work for your good. Verse 27 It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. A gracious soul secretly concludes his stars shine brightest in the night, so God will make my soul shine and glister like gold while I am in this furnace. And when I come out of the furnace of affliction, Job 23, verse 10, he knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Surely is the tasting of honey opened Jonathan's eyes. So this cross, this affliction shall open my eyes. By this stroke I shall come to have a clearer sight of my sins and of myself and a fuller sight of my God. Surely this affliction shall issue in the purge and away of my dross, Isaiah 1 verse 25. Surely, as plowing of the ground kills the weeds and harrowing breaks hard clods, so these afflictions shall kill my sins and soften my heart. Surely as the plaster draws out decor, so the afflictions that are upon me shall draw out decor of pride, decor of self-love, decor of envy, decor of earthliness, decor of formality, decor of hypocrisy. Psalm 119 verses 67 and 71 Surely by these the Lord will crucify my heart more and more to the world, and the world to my heart. Surely by these afflictions the Lord will hide pride from my soul. Job thirty-three fourteen 14-21 Surely these afflictions are but the Lord's pruning knives, by which He will bleed my sins and prune my heart, and make it more fertile and fruitful. They are but the Lord's portion, by which He will clear me and rid me of those spiritual diseases and maladies which are most deadly and dangerous to my soul. Surely these shall increase my spiritual experiences. Surely by these I shall be made more partaker of God's holiness. Hebrews 12:10. As black soap makes white clothes, so do sharp afflictions make holy hearts. Surely by these God will communicate more of Himself to me. Hosea 2:14. Surely by these afflictions the Lord will draw out my heart more and more to seek Him. Isaiah 26:16. Surely by these trials and troubles the Lord will fix my soul more than ever upon the great concerns of another world. Surely by these afflictions the Lord will work in me more tenderness and compassion towards those that are afflicted. The Romans punished one that was seen looking out at his window with a crown of roses on his head in a time of public calamity. Bishop Bonner was full of guts but empty of bowels. I'm afraid this age is full of such bonners. Surely these are but God's love tokens. Revelation 3 verse 19 As many as I love. A rebuke and chasten. Seneca persuaded his friend Polybius to bear his affliction quietly because he was the emperor's favorite. He told him that it is not lawful for him to complain while Caesar was his friend. So... Says the holy Christian, Oh, my soul, be quiet. Be still. All of this is done in love. All of this is the fruit of divine favor. I see honey upon the top of every twig. I see the rod is but a rosemary branch. I have sugar with my gall and wine with my wormwood. Therefore, be silent. O my soul, in this general conclusion, did all shall be for your good had its blessed effect upon the church. Lamentation 3 verse 28 He sits alone and keeps silence, because he has borne it upon him. Afflictions abase the loveliness of the world without, that might entice us. It abates the lustiness of the flesh within, which might else ensnare us. And it abates the spirit in its quarrel against the flesh and the world, by all which it proves a mighty advantage to us. Secondly, they shall keep them humble and low. He puts his mouth in the dust. Lamentation 3 verse 29. If so be, there may be hope. Some say that these words are an allusion to the manner of those that, having been conquered and subdued, lay their necks down at the conqueror's feet to be trampled upon, and so lick up the dust that is under the conqueror's feet. Others of the learned looked upon the words as an allusion to poor petitioners who cast themselves down at princes' feet, that they may draw forth their pity and compassion towards them. Thirdly, the third soul-quieting conclusion you have in Lamentation 3.31, For the Lord will not cast off forever. The rod shall not always lie upon the back of the righteous at eventide. Lo, there is trouble, but afore morning, it is gone. Isaiah 17, per 13. As Athanasian said to his friends when they came to bewail well his misery and banishment, It is but a little cloud, he said, and it will quickly be gone. There are none of God's afflicted ones that have not their intermissions, respites, breathing. While yea, so small a while does the hand of the Lord rest upon his people. And Martin Luther cannot get diminutives enough to extenuate it. Recalls it a very little cross that we bear, Isaiah 26, verse 20. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut your doors about you. Hide yourself as it were for a little moment, or for a little space, a little while, until the indignation be overpassed.